0: You know, the screens up here say, he is risen. We're going to, we're gonna. some of you are ahead of me here. I'm going to give some instruction. The tradition is this. You say, he is risen, and then the response is? He is risen okay, so we're going to do it, but we're going to do it with some gusto. All right? Like you've had a few cups of coffee. Who's had a few cups of coffee this morning? All right, who's not made it that far yet? All right. So we'll be keeping it out for you this, no, I'm no, just kidding. So here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Hallelujah. God is good. Luke chapter 24, verse 1 through 8 says this, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the woman bowed down with her faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on a third day be raised again. And they remembered his words. Dave and Diane just sang a song that took us on a journey through scripture, starting in the Garden of Eden, the book of Genesis, where Adam and Eve, who walked with God in the garden, they they had face-to-face relationship with God Most High, were deceived and chose to walk in disobedience, eating of the fruit that was forbidden, and sin entered the world. And through that sin, the relationship with God and man was broken. They sang about Abraham, who God spoke to him and said, Take your son, your only son, the son that you waited so long for, the son who is so precious to you, and take him to Mount Moriah. And we talked about that a little bit last Sunday. Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, where the temple would later on be built. It's the same mount where Jesus would be crucified. Very special and holy place for both Jews and Christians alike. He said to Abraham, go and sacrifice your son. And right before he goes to strike his son, the Lord provides the ram in the thicket and says, stop, I've provided another way. But he was painting a picture of what he himself would do, God himself would do with his precious son, his only son, sending him to earth to die on a cross on that same mountain. I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. I was praying for this Sunday, praying about what I should share. And, of course, it's Easter, and so there's not a lot of options, right? It's Easter and Christmas, and there's just some holidays where you go, okay, Lord, it's kind of the message is prescribed. But I was just seeking the Lord and saying, God, what is it you want to speak to your people today? What is it you want to stir in our hearts, even as we referenced out of Luke, that our hearts would burn Within us. And the Lord took me to a passage that is not really an Easter story. And I want to read that story for you this morning and then unpack for you a little bit the surroundings and what's happening here. And the message that I've entitled for this morning, Settled. Settled. Luke chapter 8, verse 22 through 24 says this One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake, this lake being the Sea of Galilee, and we call it a sea, but it's really a big lake, and you can stand on one side and see across to the other side. And so they got into the boat and set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown, He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters and the storm subsided and all was calm. Jesus goes on to have a conversation with them about their faith. It's a conversation for another day. I want to focus on that phrase, all was calm. See, this story provides a great snapshot for us of what Jesus came to do why he was born into this world. See, the men he was with with were seasoned fishermen. They'd grown up on that lake. They knew it like the back of their hands. And so in this moment that they're out in the boat in the place that's most familiar to them, this storm comes up. And these seasoned, experienced fishermen freak out. Any of you ever freaked out? A moment of life, like three hands. Man, you are a calm group of people. <laughs> they freak out. Master, master, we're going to drown. Now remember, Jesus is asleep. It's not like he's not even like just ignoring them. He is taking a nap in the midst of their crisis. They'd spent three years with Jesus at this point. They were familiar with him. They were familiar with his ways. They'd watched him minister. They'd watched his life and his example. And I find it kind of ironic that in this moment where there's a storm, they're freaking out, Jesus is sleeping. They should have taken some kind of cue, right? Hey, if Jesus is sleeping through this, I think we might be okay. But they don't. They freak out. As I was meditating on this passage, the Lord started speaking to me about this. The lie of the enemy against God's people is this, that God is not at work. That God doesn't know what you're going through, or even worse than that, God knows, but he doesn't care that he's asleep. Ultimately, the enemy would say this, God is cruel. He's a cruel God to allow you to go through things that cause you to freak out, and it seems like he's disengaged taking a nap. But it's just that. It's a lie. It's not true. Just as the disciples in the boat, in the presence of Jesus, are facing something that, that was life-threatening. They were in danger. God was not disengaged. In fact, the fact the reality that Jesus was present in the boat was the greatest evidence in the history of the world that God was very much engaged. That Jesus took on flesh. I was talking with a friend of mine recently who happens to be here this morning about humility and the fact that humility was the greatest mark of Jesus' life. Some would say, well, no, it's love. But think about it this way. If you are the God of the universe, the creator of all things, as John says, that Jesus was present at the beginning of time, and you've always been there, and as the creator, you step into creation and you take on flesh, every second of his time in human form was an act of absolute humility. Jesus in the boat demonstrates the humility of God and the love of God to his people, In that moment, though, the disciples are still freaking out. Jesus, (laughs) don't you care that we're going to die? Now, they know that he cares, right? But they still ask the question. So Jesus, and I like to play these things out in my mind. I have an active imagination. Maybe you do too. I don't know if there was any facial expressions on Jesus' face as he woke up. I don't know if you've ever been woken up from a good nap. Right, Anyone, and you're like, oh, why'd you wake me up? I was right in the middle of a great dream. Right, Maybe even a little annoyed. Jesus has woken up to the shouting and the screeching of these grown men We're going to die. And so he just simply gets up and he addresses the wind and the waves. Be still. And all was calm. See, Jesus came into this world to settle what was unsettled. To settle what was unsettled. And there are so many things in our lives that is unsettled. Unstable. Not doing well. Jesus settles those things that are unsettled. It's What Easter is all about. And because he is God and because of his death and the cross. And because of his resurrection and the empty grave. He alone has the authority to do the settling. He alone has the authority to do the settling. So this morning, I want to take a few minutes, and I want to look at two specific places where Jesus settles our lives. The first is this. Jesus settles the debt of our sin. Jesus settles the debt of our sin. I'm not a music guy. I, if you get in my car, you, you, my my kids always know if I've been driving the car versus Megan because for Megan it's probably going to be an oldies station, and for me it's going to be KNX 1070 News Radio. I just—it's not that I don't like music, but I, I like listening to news radio. Well, if you listen to any any other by the KNX or you know six forty, like it's okay. You can admit it. It's uh, there's no judgment in this place. If you listen to any of those stations, you've probably heard the commercials that have been playing like crazy. And I won't mention the name of the comp- company, but it, it goes something like this. There's a guy who lives in the city of Orange who owed $350,000. But he called us, and we settled for 100 bucks. <laughs> right? Have you heard it? There was a lady who owed $2 million. She called us, and she settled for fifty cents. Okay, that's a little exaggeration. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Probably is. If you called, they'd say, "Well, that was a unique circumstance. Yours is, right?" Settling. They owed someone, and this law firm or this negotiator, this mediator went in and said, "Hey, you know, let's pay some pennies on the dollar, so at least you get some kind of money." And they settle. I was thinking about what Jesus did for us in settling our sin. See, our, our debt was not a tax or financial burden. The debt we owed was a debt due to sin. And the debt we owe is our lives, the very lives themselves. It's a debt that could not just be reduced. That the debt of our sin couldn't just be reduced from 100000 to $100,000. God couldn't go to the enemy, to Satan, and say, well, if we could just get a lesser charge or just settle in some other way. See, the debt of our sin required full payment. Full payment. There was no other way. It could not be negotiated. The Isaiah prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 118, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. This prophecy uttered by a man who was empowered by God to speak these words. Years and years and years before Jesus ever showed up. And for a world that thought that God was disengaged, that he didn't care, that they didn't matter, that he was cruel... This was a reminder that God was working even when we didn't see it, and that he had a plan to reconcile, to settle the matter once and for all, to cover the cost of our sin, to forgive us once and for all, to take what was red and make it as white as snow. Has anyone ever spilled red grape juice on a white carpet, right? There's some young people going, yep, any, right, I don't, I don't get white carpet. I don't understand white carpet. It's, it's kind of, right? If you have kids, you're like, this is, a, this is ridiculous. But if you've ever spilled grape juice on something that was white, you know that it's never, it's going to just be pink, right? You Just reconcile. It's going to be pink. God says that there was this red stain of sin in our lives. And that the work of Jesus took that stain and made it white as snow and white as wool. Isaiah is speaking of what was yet to come. For us, we're looking backwards going, it's already been done. It's already accomplished. See, Romans 6.23, the first part says this, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The cost of sin, the debt you owe because of sin is death. Non-negotiable. It is your life. That the enemy, in John 10.10, Jesus says that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He is demanding your life, and he has a right to it because of the brokenness of sin. Our sin costs us. In fact, I heard this saying years and years ago. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Someone has to pay for sin. Someone has to pay. The second part of that verse, though, Paul Paul goes on to write, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, you see, the cross and the the grave were a gift from God through His Son that allowed us to be forgiven. Our debt was settled at Calvary. Our debt was settled because of the empty grave. It's the greatest gift that has ever been given. And I imagine if we asked around the room, there's probably some pretty cool gifts that have been given in this room. We understand this the gift of life and life eternal is the greatest gift you could ever, ever receive. It's why we sing that song, Jesus Paid It All. All to him I owe. He settled the debt. Why is this important? Why is it important that Jesus would settle the debt? Is it just that God just has such an issue with sin? And the Bible does talk about the fact that God hates hates sin. But is it the sin? Is that the focal point for him? He's just, he's just averse to sin? Not at all. The focal point is us. It says in Hebrews that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. We're that joy. It's us, it's you, and it's me. See, the problem was in the garden, as we were talking about before, that Adam and Eve were created in Mago day. They were created in the image of God. And they were created in the image of God so they could be in relationship with God. God is a relational God. And he wanted to have face-to-face relationship with his creation. I want to show you a picture. My daughter and our little dog. That's Bailey on the bottom and Grace on top. (laughs) And Grace is probably not real happy with me right now, but... Isn't Bailey cute? She's a little white ball of fur. She's completely deaf, so she's more like a cat. She's calls, you call her and she doesn't respond. Um, I wish she was a cat and used a litter box, but that's another story. We love Bailey. She's a part of our family. And if we can't find her, we freak out. Where's Bailey? Because she loves to go walk about in the neighborhood. She's an explorer. And again, she's deaf, so you can't call her. So her little tag actually says, Bailey, I'm deaf, and then has our phone number. And um, we love Bailey. And she sits on the couch with us. She sleeps on Grace's bed, and we feed her, and she follows us around. But we don't have a relationship with Bailey. We don't. Because she's not created in our image. She doesn't bear the mark or the imago Dei of God. Now, Grace does. She's my daughter, and I have a relationship with her. I get to talk to her. She gets annoyed with me if I leave the house without saying goodbye and giving her a kiss and a hug. Why? Because we share conversation. We share our lives with each other. We're connected to each other. We were created imago Dei for relationship with God. Sin fractured our image. Sin broke our imago Dei. And in a loving gesture, God says, I have to remove you, Adam and Eve, from the garden. Because of your sin, you cannot be in my presence. We cannot have that relationship. But immediately, once they were out of the garden, God started working the plan to restore the relationship. What Jesus did at Calvary, and what he did by defeating, the de- by, by defeating death and raising from the dead is he restored our Imago Dei. Well, you might go, well, but I still struggle with sin. Yes, so did the apostle Paul and the rest of the disciples and everyone else in this room. The difference is this, is now when God looks at you, he looks at you through Jesus Christ, and the debt has been settled. The debt of Sin that requires a payment of death was laid on Jesus at Calvary. Your debt has been paid. Your debt is settled. It is settled so that you can walk in relationship with God once again. And it's the relationship that he wanted to have. This is important for us. It's the relationship he wants to have with you. So he made a way. He made a way. See, the enemy comes and he accuses. And he indicts. And he points out the debt. And Jesus just simply says, This man, this woman, this child has put their faith in me. Their debt is paid. Jesus came to settle the debt for our sins. He also came, though, secondly, to settle the distress of our hearts. Jesus came to settle the distress of our hearts. See, the disciples in that boat, they were close to Jesus, but they were still walking in fear. They were in proximity to the King of kings and the Lords of lords, but the waves took precedence over that. The circumstances around them were the thing that were completely consuming their vision. Maybe you've known Jesus for a while, maybe for a week, maybe for a decade or more, but maybe you find yourself in the same boat as the disciples, that every time a storm comes up, you freak out, and fear overwhelms you, and panic sets in. And you start wondering, does God really care about me? Does he know what I'm going through? Does he see me? Is he aware? We hear about it every time there's a tragedy in our nation. And and people go, how could a loving God allow blah, 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 blah to happen? To lie of the enemy. He is a loving God. He made the way. The only way. For our hearts to be settled. But we tend to freak out when life gets choppy. I remember when Megan and I were first married, we were students at Life Bible College right here in San Dimas, and we'd fallen in love, and I'd pursued her, and I won. Um, she, she didn't make it easy. We got married, and, and her goal was, I don't want to get married while I'm in college. I want to wait till I graduate, and I, again, I won. Um, so we got married The end of 1996, December 1996, I was at the end of, I was kind of midway through my sophomore year. Megan was a junior at that point. And our plan was this. Don't you love plans? Our plan was this. We're going to get married. We're going to finish college. We're going to get great jobs in ministry. And then we're going to start a family. Well, we married December 28th. 1996, and our first child, Micah, was born September 12, 1997. We didn't even make it a year. And the day that Megan found out she was pregnant, there was incredible excitement. We were overjoyed. And then I pre- proceeded to freak out. And I say I because she was just as calm as any... Maybe she was freaking out on the inside, but she wasn't showing out on the outside. But I went into full freak-out mode, right? It's the weight of having a child. Now I have to provide for this little one, and I have to care for for him or her and 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 I right I and I have to raise them in the ways of the Lord and and they've got to eat and they've got to have a house to live in and we were just living in a one bedroom apartment and I was working a maintenance job and Megan was working at a daycare and we're like there's no way there's no way and so I full freak out moan not not even kidding and I told Megan we're we're packing up we're moving back up to Washington where my parents live I know I can get a job up there it's much cheaper and I'm like we'll just Ah! and she's looking at me like who are you now remember we've been married for less than a month we've not even got used to the idea of being married and and you know this if you're married the day after the wedding is a huge eye-opener isn't it you're like wait what hold up a second Just let that settle for a second. (laughs) See some elbows going. Um, And when I was done freaking out, Jesus, Jesus, Megan, Jesus through Megan, just very calmly said, no, we're not. We're not going anywhere. I came here to go to college. I came here to finish. We're going to finish. God's going to provide I don't know if any other men in the room can attest, like sometimes your woman is the, the, she's the your wife is the woman of faith. And your, Megan was like, some of you are reluctant to even raise your hands. <laughs> I, I'd say from early on, I realized my wife had a faith and a trust in Jesus that we've grown together in. But in that moment, she took her stand and said, no, that's not the way this is going to play out. God's going to take care of us. And 21 years later, he has. We finished college. She finished the next year. It took me another seven. (laughs) By the way, I think God has an absolute sense of humor. So you remember, it was four kids, then graduate. I mean, it was graduate, job, and then we we knew we wanted four kids. I graduated on Grace's first birthday, and she was our fourth child. And I felt like God was like, so how'd that plan work out for you? (laughs) We freak out. We get a diagnosis or a prognosis. And we freak out. We endure a strained or a broken relationship and we freak out. We face financial uncertainty and we freak out. We look at the political climate in our nation and we freak out. We look at the world and what's going on in the world around us and we freak out. God, don't you know? Don't you care? We're going to die here. The response of Jesus is found in John 14:27, and he simply says this, "Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. It's a promise. And the promises of Jesus, the Bible says, are yes and amen. He doesn't make promises he doesn't intend to keep. Isaiah promised that the Savior would come and wash our sin, and we would go from red to white as snow. And that's what we're celebrating. Why? Because God keeps his promises. Jesus says, I leave you my peace. See, the cross and the empty grave secured our peace. We no longer have to walk in fear. Our hearts can be settled before the Lord. Jesus has the authority to speak peace into our lives. I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads just for privacy and close your eyes for those around you. I'm going to ask two questions this morning. See, because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ requires a response from us. And, not, and no response, by the way, is a response. There are a lot of people who have not had their debt settled. Because Jesus doesn't force it. It's an invitation for him, from him, for us to respond. To put our faith in him. To say, Lord, I confess with my mouth, I believe with my heart. That you are the son of God. That you died and you were resurrected. And I surrender my life to you. He will not impose himself on you. But he is extending an invitation and saying, I want to settle the debt of your sin. See, before we say yes to Jesus, that debt is not settled and it still requires the payment. The payment is our lives. The payment is eternal separation. From God the Father. But Jesus made a way. He is the only way. So my first question this morning is for those who maybe have never said yes to Jesus. You've never received him as your Lord and Savior. You've never asked him to be your King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The one who would forgive you of your sins. To wipe away every indictment, every debt, every accusation of the enemy. To stand blameless and holy before God face-to-face relationship. If that's you in this morning your heart is stirring and, and, and you're saying, Pastor Barry, I want that. I want that kind of relationship. I want my debt to be settled. If that's you, without anyone looking around, would you just simply slip your hand up in the air so I can agree with you and before, uh, before me and before heaven that you would acknowledge your decision to follow Jesus, to receive him. If that's you, lift your hand up. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. Anyone else this morning, you would say, I've never received the Lord. I've never received Jesus as my King, as my Savior. And you would want to do that today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the best day to say yes to Jesus. Anyone else this morning, you would say, Pastor Barry, that's me. Can we all pray this prayer together? Dear Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for raising to life again. Thank you that the debt of sin in my life has been forgiven. I repent of my sin, and I choose to follow you and walk with you. Can we give praise to the Lord this morning for... A life that has been surrendered to Jesus. Second question is this. Maybe you've known Jesus for a while. You've walked closely with him. But you find yourself freaking out all the time. That your life is more characterized by the freak out than the peace that Jesus has. This morning Jesus wants to minister his peace to you. If that's you, if you're ready to be done living in fear and living in the struggle, would you simply raise your hand? I would just love to agree with you. Raise it nice and high. Thank you. All around the room. Yes. Anyone else? It's a bold statement. I didn't ask you to close your eyes. It's a bold statement, but but as followers of Jesus Christ, we're family. We're family, and family stands together. So, Lord, we pray over these that have raised their hands this morning. God, we ask and I ask on their behalf that you would minister peace. Your promise, Jesus, is that you would give them peace beyond understanding. And so, Lord, in this moment, whatever it is, whatever it is that is raising its head against them. Whatever the storm looks like, God, we pray that you would speak to the storm. Be calm, be quiet, be still, and that you would settle the distress of our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to walk with you, to live with you, to enjoy you. We give you praise. Can we all stand together this morning? We're gonna close with worship today. We lift the name of Jesus on high. I'm going to pray a closing prayer over us and then worship together. We do have to take down. We're a mobile church. So in a few minutes, once we're done, you'll notice we'll start stacking chairs and putting things away. Uh, if, you, if you don't have plans today, please come join us at the park. We'd love to have you. It's a great time of, of just hanging out and fellowship. Um, grab some lunch on the way and, and then just meet us over uh, at Finkbiner. If it is your first time, again, a special welcome to you. We do have a gift for you at the Hub. Uh, And we'd love to bless you and just say thank you for being here this morning. So, Jesus, we honor you in this place. We glorify you. God, we recognize that it is because of you and you alone that we can gather together here today to lift your name on high. We thank you for what you have done in and through our lives. Jesus, that you have settled our debt and that you have settled our hearts. We give you praise in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.